Well, we have nine more holes to go, so how about you two fellas follow me to the 10th tee? On to the back nine, hour number two of Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper, son of Hall of Famer Billy Casper. Two players down the middle on the tempo. Here's Brian and Bob. Thank you very much and welcome in to hour number two, the back nine of Real Golf Radio. It's brought to you in part by Mountainland Supply, the official Rainbird irrigation supplier for the state of Utah and serving the Intermountain area. Check out uh, mountainlandsupply.com. And thanks again for joining us here. Find us on X at Real Golf. You can also search for us where your favorite podcasts are found. And, of course, we're on our flagship station, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. For those who are listening there, welcome to the 8 to 10 time slot. We're happy to be there as well here in our 25th year of hosting Real Golf Radio. It's a pleasure to uh, be chatting golf with you. Pebble Beach going on this week. This is the heart and soul of the West Coast Swing. Got some celebs involved, but not this weekend. Celebrity portion is done, and it's pros only and Pebble Beach only for Saturday and Sunday. And by the way, it only began and will end with 80 players on the PGA Tour. No cut. This is one of those signature events. It's been reimagined, as we just talked about, to the those limitations. But signature event, Bob, means $20 million, 3.7 to the win. this week. Did they bump it up to 25 this week? They did. I didn't even realize that. Wow. No, no, it says it says on the schedule 20. Sorry, but I thought oh, it was 25. I was but say. still 3.6. Yes. Okay, 3.6, $20 million. That's what I thought. All right, yep. 3.6. Yep. Now, I was watching. Um, I was actually in. You went to golf the other day. And uh-huh. I was just kind of tooling around on their putting green. And uh, by the way, the, <laughs> I just grabbed one of those new AI one putters from Odyssey. Uh-huh. And I was like, uh-huh. what? And it was the number seven. Right. And I just sat and plunked putts with it just for the heck of it. Yeah. I made eight in a row from about 12 ding, feet. Ding, 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 ding. I'm like, what the heck is that? Buy that putter. I'm like, maybe there is something to this AI stuff. Holy cow. <laughs> and I'm like, either that or you win it has mastered the funnel green so that the you'll want to yep. buy that the putter. Trough. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I digress. On the TV while I was in there, they were playing golf's greatest rounds or whatever. And it uh-huh. was back in, I think, 2008, maybe. Tiger Woods winning at Pebble Beach. Uh, I think it was, was it Matt Gogol or something like that was he Tiger came from seven behind. Yeah, that's what he hold it on fifteen. Yes. So that yeah. was two nope, that would have been two thousand. We'll it would see. have been two thousand. That's yeah, correct. Yeah, in two thousand. So anyway, it was golf. And he had the and he had the red sweater on with the big baggy sleeves. Oh yeah. That's the one. Yep. I was that's less watching it and I was more listening to it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so as I was listening to it, Jim Nance was awarding him the winner's check. And it was a big deal. It's like, and not only that, but coming along with the victory, $700,000 to the winner. And I was like, wow, <laughs> 700 grand. I'm like, yeah. can, can you imagine? 700 grand? Jump change. 700. Yeah. Now they're playing for 3 million and the 700. 3.6. Crazy. So there you go. That's what's that's what's gone on. Um, hey, before we le- finished up uh, the hour, we're talking to Tyler Staniford. He's a, a biomechanics professor at uh, Utah Valley University and mm-hmm. a golf consultant. He works with Super Speed Golf. 
Well, I wanted to just get your take because we didn't have a chance to, to visit amongst ourselves on this, but he talked to afterwards the emphasis on the difference between grip pressure and grip strength. And how about this? 85% of players are using the wrong grip size. I found that yeah. to be quite interesting. That's a big yeah, number. Yeah, and like he said, the only way that they quantify your grip size or are able to fit you for grips is basically old school by just measuring your hand and measuring your palm and fingers and all that kind of thing. And like he said, most of the people are using too small of a grip. So the interesting thing that I saw with this grip and this study that they were doing is that the PGA tour has the strongest grip and they are the best players. Then you've got guys that hit the ball right to left. That would be the next level down um, as far as strength of grip. And then most of your amateurs have a weaker grip or um, low handicap players have a little bit weaker grip. And then finally um, your regular amateur players have a, a grip that's the weakest of all. And the interesting thing is those amateur players, most of them hit a fade. And the guys that hit a draw have a stronger grip. And, and of course, PGA Tour players are the number one. Well, they broke it all the way down from left, the leading hand to, to bottom hand, right? Top hand, right. bottom hand. Right. And how the, grip, how the grip strength and the pressure changes to those different hands, right? So when you get yes. it to the top... Your lead hand, are you bringing it with your lead hand or are you initiating that with the, the low hand, right? So in other words, if you're a right-handed player, do you initiate that by, as they always talk about, pulling down yep. with the left hand? So you're kind of bringing that handle down or are you casting it more, which would be your right hand, as a, again, as a righty from that top, in the, from the transition right at the top. So mm -hmm. I thought that was really... Now, I don't have all... The whole study, the, the video that we watched was almost an hour long on this. It's really quite right. fascinating. But what he was, what if what it breaks down to is, if you're struggling a little bit or you're trying to get better, you should go to a bigger grip. And I would have thought that almost as would be opposite. The only thing that that registers in my mind initially is most of the time we get a little too handsy, yes. and getting a little too handsy moves that club head all over the place, mm -hmm. making it more difficult to square it up. So if we take a little bigger grip. Maybe there's less hands involved, which means the club is probably a little more stable. That that's that's where I understand that. I don't know if that's how you would understand that, but that seems to resonate with me. Yeah, you know, when I was playing a lot, I used to put um, I used to put one layer of tape on my on my grip from my left hand, and then in my right hand because the grips always taper down. Mm -hmm. In my right hand, I'd put two layers of tape. Oh, interesting. So you're one and wrap, then, two wrap. Yeah, so one left and two right, and then it would equal out the taper in the grip, and you wouldn't have – your right hand doesn't get into as much, like you said, flippy, and it allows you to hit the ball straighter. Interesting. And I don't even know, like, it used to give that as an option. Like, if you were on Callaway's website or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times it would say, do you want wraps? Now, maybe it does. I have Maybe I just haven't done it for a bit. But I don't know that I've seen the wrap thing as an option. They'll ask you which grip you want. They'll ask right. you what size. You could choose mid-size or you could choose you know, right. whatever. And some of the grips have less taper than others. But 
that grip size out. That used to be the wraps. That was a big thing. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe people. Maybe. Lampkin, Lampkin used to, and they probably still do, and probably most of the grip companies do, but they had a grip that was not tapered, but it was more parallel all the way down. Yeah. Then you had counterbalance grips, and then you yep. had, you know, and then, of course, you have, you have cord, you have uh, all these different. Well, what's your kind of, when, when you're choosing a grip, what do you like about it? I don't, I don't want to make this a whole grip conversation, but just to kind of wrap it up, what do you like in, in the feel of a, of a grip? I, you know, when I was younger, I used to play all cord. Um, I, I like, um, I don't know, just, just a regular, a regular rubber doesn't have to have cord in it or not, but I do use cord now, probably more so in my left hand than my right. Yeah. Um, guess who used, guess who played his whole career with counterbalance grips? Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And your dad played with leather grips. Yes. Back in the day. And didn't you say he mm -hmm. changed those just once a year? At Wilson? Yeah, once a year, and he, and he keep them all clean and everything. I can remember going to the Wilson factory and having the guy regrip his clubs and having to put them on a on a table and roll them to get them to where they fit correctly in his hand. They're literally taking strips of leather and wrapping them. Yep, is that right? Wrapping it around. That's unbelievable. Yep. That's unbelievable. Yep. That's pretty cool stuff right there. So anyway, if you missed that, uh, we'll post that on our X feed at Real Golf. You can also find it where your favorite podcasts are found. But Tyler Staniford, I, I would highly recommend, you know, getting in touch with him. He offered, right, especially if you're in the Utah yep. area and you want to go visit with him. But, you know, he's like you said, he's always down for research. And I've done a yes. bunch of stuff with him. And now he wants one of the things we didn't get into was force plates, but he's got these mobile force plates that he's really big on. And what, what are you doing from the ground standpoint, from the ground up? How are you impacting and, and what does that do for that next level of speed? Um, you know, the speed training is pretty self-explanatory. It definitely worked for me. I don't expect this year that I'll see a 20, 20 yard gain from doing that exercise again. But the thing he did suggest that I do, throughout the season after I had done my spring six weeks was to just do it once a week, just to maintain. I didn't yeah. do that at all. And so I feel like I've lost that a little bit, but I, when I started back up this week, I had played last week, last Saturday for the first time in a month and it was awful. That just had no feel, didn't have any good. <laughs> I just wasn't, there was no impact, right? I just didn't feel like I was compressing the ball. Right. Just things fell off. And I did that first speed training and then I went out and hit a bucket of balls and all of a sudden it was coming back together. I realized I was leaned out a little bit. Like we talked about too much on my toes. I need to sit back in my heels, which allowed me to make a better turn. I was away from the ball, wasn't crowding it, whatnot. And so that's, you pointed out sequencing. So there's a lot of things yeah. about swinging hard and fast that in those trainings that will help translate into maybe a better swing. Cause the two things I was worried about was injuring myself or making my swing worse. And actually right. it was the opposite. I felt like I got stronger, didn't injure myself and my swing was a little bit better. So anyway, I highly recommend it. Super speed golf. If you want to check them out, it's just three clubs and uh, get in touch with Tyler and he'll be happy to put you through the drills, a little warm up drill. And then from some simple swing, hard drills, essentially takes about 15 minutes, three times a week. You'd be amazed at the results. All right, let's look at some of the top stories. Again, uh, Rex Hoggard joined us as well in hour number one and really spent some time breaking down the announcement of the PGA tour that they have reached a deal with SSG $1.5 billion committed to invest with the future of another 1.5 to be a potential of a $3 billion um, 
investment and they've right. that's 11%. So you basically end up with about $13 billion evaluation. And what Rex kept saying is, don't ask me what PGA Tour Enterprises is, but apparently whatever it is, is valued at $13 billion. And they're now yeah. still continuing their negotiations with the PIF, the PIF, to see where they play now into this investment. But here's my question, Bob. What does this mean for the tour? And the one thing it, could, it, it means, apparently, is these equity shares, as he explained that some sort of formula to the top 36 players and some sort of sliding five-year scale, as well as some a nod or, or what to some of the legacy players uh, out there. He mentioned Jack and Tiger specifically. So um, the equity shares is in there, but what, what else does that mean for the tour? And then to that point, what does that mean for their continuing negotiations for PIF? What do you think? Well, I think that there's a couple of things that transpire because of this. One is the governmental agencies and the Senate and everything are continuing their invest investigation of this framework agreement with Saudi Arabia. So by having another U.S. company or U.S. investment group that's involved with the PGA Tour, it bodes well going forward because now we know that that the Saudis will probably have the same type of share as a minority investor as the U.S. group of strategic sports group. So, um, you know, it's not going to get out of whack. It's not going to be like 51% and 49% and that kind of thing. It's going to be more uniform as far as the business arrangement agreement will probably be. The other thing is, is it, it, involves the PGA Tour players. There's going to be seven players on this board, um, and and they will have the majority share of the 13 that are going to be on the board. Um, so the players are going to be heavily involved in what's going on with the PGA Tour. Those um, equity shares are going to be $750 million. Mm. That's what they're going to work out to. Now, when they're going to be able to... to be fully you know, invested and all that, yeah. If fully invested and stuff like that, that's years down the road. But uh, but the players are now looking at it and going, wow, you know, um, now there's a reason. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons for me to play better in tournaments and stuff like that. But, you know, to get myself vested and to get myself up in the esh upper echelon, it's pretty interesting how it's all going to work. And then lastly, it gives stability to the PGA Tour with uh, with this amount of money that they've got there to be able to use for the PGA Tour, um, the Corn Ferry Tour, the PGA Champions Tour, um, also the DP World Tour, and bringing them into the into the fold, and it becomes more of what guys are talking about as a closer world tour in professional golf. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. I I keep looking at this and wondering when we're going to get to a point where we can actually look back and see what this journey really looked like. Right. Right. Like, right. The th question I asked Rex was, was the PGA tour in trouble? Why did they need to go get this money and get this investment? And he said he wouldn't use the word trouble, but they were on a pace that they couldn't maintain. Right. And that was right. chasing. That was chasing what Liv was doing. Right. And trying to keep up in all these elevated purses. And we said that from the beginning, it's a not sustainable. 
Yeah. But apparently now through this, they're going to find ways to make it sustainable, which means, hey, the right. best thing is for the players. The players are going to make more money. The problem is we got to st- quit focusing on the darn money and get back to focusing on the game and making sure we got the right players competing in the right events so that we can get back to that focus instead of millionaires making more millions of dollars, which is really kind of a turnoff uh, for the fans. Anyway, there you go. We'll talk more about that. Caddy joins us next as well. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Back to Real Golf Radio with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. All right, welcome back. It's Real Golf Radio. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper. Thanks for joining us here. Again, you can find us on X at Real Golf. Search for us where your favorite podcasts are found. Catch us on Sirius XM, iHeartRadio on GNN, as well as Sports Byline USA and our flagship station, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Brought to you in part by Black Desert Resort in St. George, Utah, hosting this uh, fall FedEx Cup fall event this October at the new Tom Weiskopf Championship Design Golf Course. Exclusive real estate opportunities available at blackdesertresort.com. There are bag rats, and then there are caddies. Pro jocks who are legends in caddy shacks across the PGA Tour. While we can neither confirm nor deny the existence of this legendary looper, here he is, the caddy on Real Golf Radio. You know, I can't tell you how much I love this caddy open. We've been doing it for almost 20 years. Well, over 20 years, actually, this one. Uh And it's just good every single time. Wouldn't you agree, caddy? I mean, you got to love having your own open. Yeah, I I, I uh, flip the cape every time I hear it right before I go on to kind of get in the right mood. It is a mood, isn't it? It's a vibe, as the kids would say today. You got to have, what do they call it? The Riz? What oh, the Riz. Yeah, Riz is a big the thing. Riz. Yeah. Yeah. Because you <laughs> yeah, can't I don't say, know what the Riz is. Well, you can't say charisma anymore, so they just shortened oh, it to Riz. Oh, okay. Yeah. Short for charisma. Mm-hmm. Riz. I like that. Yeah. It's sort of an elevated charisma, maybe a cooler version of charisma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Caddy's got the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was on. the way he said that, just so nonchalantly. Matter of fact, Caddy's got the. Well, so you got to do it. You got to. I mean, it's got to be casual. Tell me, Fred Couples got the wrist. Mm. He got the wrist. He was the original. Yeah, right. Well, who was the oh, original wrist? Palmer. Yeah, probably Palmer. Yeah, yeah, Arnold, Arnold, Arnold Palmer. The king, no doubt about it. King got the Riz. Because you think about I it, like Hogan, Irwin. Hogan didn't have Riz. I mean, that guy was just intimidating. He didn't have a Riz. Yeah, though. Terminator. I asked uh, Hale Irwin one time about Tiger Woods, and I said, I said, so how did how did Arnie's army? How did that compare to the buzz around Tiger? And and Hale said, Arnie was Elvis compared to tiger he goes you couldn't even believe what it was like really levels above i go what he goes yep he goes it was unbelievable Mm. huh jilly ran into jilly ran into that casper on the back nine at olympic there you go Ooh, casper's converts that's right (laughs) casper's uh I'll tell you what, you're making me think of that burger dog. Let's Ooh, not go there. And then who had the Riz? <laughs> mm. 
You know what? Your dad didn't have the riz when he was playing. No. But he sure no. was uh, charismatic in his, later in life and just a peach of a man. But, um, yeah, you know, your, your dad was sort of the opposite of that. He just was out there. He was all business. You know, he did his thing and – um, and he, and he did it amazingly, uh, and, and he made, he did it amazingly boring, Bob. I mean, from what I've yeah. seen and what I know, I never got to watch him play. Right. But I mean, the guy was just nails and, you know, he just destroyed people and didn't make too big of a deal about it. Just shook their hand, walked off and grabbed the check and went on to the next one. You know, Caddy, hey. he told me one time, he said, you know, there's a lot of guys on tour and a lot of journeymen on tour and a lot of guys that as they get in the heat of the battle, they shy away from wanting to win. It becomes too hard for him. He said, that wasn't me. He said, when when I got in the heat of the battle, when I got close, he said, I wanted more of the pressure. I wanted more of the heat. Kind of like, give me the ball. Let me shoot. And that's the way he was. And he mm. said that there's guys that, that just have that in them, and there's guys that don't. He was a gunslinger. He's a Western gunslinger. He, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like the song says, he was cardigan when cardigan wasn't cool. Yeah, that's what he was. <laughs> right? You know, all those guys. He loved cardigans, they too. They need to bring the cardigans back. They mm. tried. Didn't somebody try to bring it back recently? I mean, Webb Simpson. Maybe he's Mitchell. the Webb Simpson is a cardigan guy. Was yeah. It's just it's not quite the same though. Maybe you need no. the uncolored shirt with the cardigan. I don't know. Palmer wore a lot or a of mock, cardigans or a mock colored. Yeah. So Pebble Beach and Spyglass guys. I mean, mm. Pebble and Spy. You can smell it from here, can you? Oh. Interesting, yeah. And there's a little weather this week. Little weather, not going to be cold. Going to be windy. a little brutal. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, just once I'd like to go out to Pebble and have there not be any weather. I don't even know what that's like. Hmm. Well. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's Most what you expect, the though. The first, the first time I played Pebble, I remember I was hitting my third shot up onto the green on six. And I remember looking, trying to look up to the green and the rain was blowing so hard off the ocean uh, into my face. I couldn't even open my eyes to look at the target. And I was just, I started laughing and I was like, there's no way if I wasn't at Pebble beach, I'd still be out here trying to play golf. <laughs> awesome. There's no, there's nowhere I've been in golf that when it's raining and windy, it actually, it hurts when you're walking up the hill on six at Pebble to that, plateaued layup area. Yeah. It hurts. I mean, you, you think of two things. This must've been like what it was like storming Normandy beach, or this is how they got the inspiration for the scene in Caddyshack with the preacher and the storm. <laughs> right. That, that's, that's a good visual. That's what you feel like walking up that hill. Yep. Oh, it's tough. What's your favorite hole at, at Pebble? I go straight to number eight. Mm. Straight to eight. Oh, yeah. Eight. Although 18 is awesome. The second shot is, I mean, everything about 18 is awesome. Yeah, but eight is just, oh, what, what an amazing. And it's not, it's, it's, it's a, you know, nondescript tee shot. It's a little blind, way uphill, often not a driver. But like Jack said, it is flat out the 
the greatest second shot in golf on a par four. Is that what he said? Mm. Yes. And I, I could not agree more. I can't think of a better one. It's yeah, that's a so pretty cool. hole. That's a pretty hole. Mm-hmm. Number seven, Caddy. That little short hole. What about number seven? Yeah. Tony Tony Fino hit driver on the practice round on Wednesday. <laughs> just driver. O- just well, over the green. Just barely over the green. I knew that was too much club. Um, <laughs> yeah, from, seven, from 110? Here's all I have to say about seven. I've been to Pebble. I'm, I'm certain it's over 100. It's well over 100 times have I been on the seventh hole. Probably over a few hundred times. Every time I go there, the first time I get to that hole, I take out the camera and take my obligatory picture of number seven. I have like a thousand pictures of number seven. <laughs> I just have to, have to that, that's all you need to know about hole seven. It's a photo every time. I asked my dad there one time. He said he was playing in the Crosby. I said, "How's how's uh, what's the longest club you've ever hit into this hole when you're playing the tournament?" He said, "I hit a three iron. I had to keep it under the wind." I've seen four iron there, and during the tournament, yeah, yeah, that's remarkable. And did you hear what they did this week with the with the greens? They're expecting the wind and everything. They slowed the greens down to ten. Oh, old school. Yeah. Hmm. Well, when it blows, you better get them at 10 or you can't play the place. Caddy yeah. joining, Caddy's joining us here on Real Golf Radio. Uh, let's talk about this since we're well into Pebble Beach here. The this Pebble Beach Pro-Am, it's reimagined this year, Caddy. So it went from three to two golf courses. They limited the field. It's no cut. It's pros only on the weekend. It's a signature event, elevated purse. You got all of the top 80 guys eligible. They're all playing in this. Um, do you do you like this reimagined event? Did it need to be reimagined? What's your thoughts? Boy, it really is different not having the emphasis on the celebrities. That's what the tournament historically has been about forever. The Crosby clam bake, right? With all the Hollywood movie stars and the singers coming up to play. And uh, I've been, my entire life until this week, that's what the tournament's been about. Mm-hmm. So it's very different. It's very different. Um, yeah. So you're not going to have the usual Saturday where Bill Murray's spinning, spinning someone around in a bunker or doing whatever he's doing it's 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 definitely different from that perspective for this tournament but pebbles pebble the golf course that's no different and um you're guaranteed a great leaderboard very likely almost impossible not to have a better leaderboard than you'd have during a typical free this pre-signature event um so there's, you can look at it that way. Um, just from, you know, pure golf competition, et cetera, you're going to have a, you're going to, you're just going to have a great leaderboard at all the signature events, period. Every single one. Yeah. It's good. Yep. Like, oh, I can't not watch this. Look at who's on the board. So. Well, let's just go down the list real quick. Cause I, I get what you're saying, but Justin Rose is defending champ from last year. I mean, that's a good name. Tom Hoagie the year before. Okay. Maybe not everybody's household. Daniel Berger, the year before that. Nick Taylor, that was a surprise. And then it was Phil Mickelson in 2019. Then Ted Potter Jr. 
in 2018, Jordan Spieth in 2017, right? Uh, Vaughn Taylor, Brant Snedeker, Jimmy Walker, Brant Snedeker, Phil Mickelson again, DA points, couple of a pair of back-to-back wins by DJ. Anyway, my point is, is they wanted to have more of these big names up there. I guess they didn't want the Burgers and the Potters and the Vaughn Taylors and and that sort of thing. They they wanted more of the Phil Mickelson you know players up there winning, and so that's I guess they made it a signature event so that all these guys would show up. Well, I don't think it's the winners you're looking at because that's a really nice list of winners. I, it's more, it's more having the the whole top ten, the whole top, you know, the whole top ten, the whole top twenty. All those names are you want to go watch those guys of all those names. That's what the signature events do. Mm-hmm. It's not just right. the winner. You got uh, the whole crop of guys. Um, if you went down, if you if you went down the top ten of all those events, it would sound a lot different then it's going to stand with the signatures. That's the thing. So hmm. anyway, uh, yeah. Daddy, who's, who's the, um, who's the most notable celebrity that you were around with, um, when you were catting there at Pebble beach? We've had some cool, we had some cool ones. Uh, Huey Lewis was our partner for three or four re- years in a row, right at the beginning. Um, we had Dennis Quaid. We played with Montana. Um, I can I can tell you that I probably told this story, but this was actually at a first tee event. We were scheduled to play with Clint Eastwood at Pebble Beach, and and he pulled out in the morning with a bad back, and that was that was the biggest disappointment I've had at that Pebble at Pebble Beach was not going around with Clint Eastwood. That would have been really cool. But I've been yeah, around I mean, with him. Yeah, and, I caddied and for he Keith Clearwater that. when I first when right. I first met you. I caddied for Keith Clearwater there one year, and we were with Clint for three rounds. There you go. And he none of those actors, like I say, they none of them act. That's just how they talk in real life. That's <laughs> just what they're like that in real life. Am I right? I mean, yep. come on. Yeah. No, you're right. Clint Eastwood's turning yeah. to you saying, "Do you feel lucky, caddy? Well, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Huh." But, Go ahead, make but we've my had, day. Hmm. But the the, the biggest <laughs> he, crap. He doesn't like our. He, we're like doing impersonations, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, I'm not even going to comment on how bad those are." No, might have might have to cut those on the edit. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, so you know about Brian Bill Shambly's story about playing with Clint? He, no. Clint Clint just is chopping it up. And he, this, this is, uh, this was actually back at Kapalua during the old Lincoln Mercury and he's just chopping it up in the, in the high grass and he comes back, sits in the cart and he just gives that Clint Eastwood look. He's just staring at Brandel and Brandel's like, is he going to bite my head off or something? <laughs> and he just looks right at him and he goes, in all the confusion, I can't remember if I took five swings or six. <laughs> I mean that's just too good. That's too good. How about how about sharing the one in um where the caddy tried to do the whistle when he walked in? Yeah, so reptile. Reptile from Chicago. He was in there in the hog's breath with the boys, and this was probably in the late eighties. Maybe maybe with two or three caddies sitting around enjoying a dinner at the hog's breath. And I think Clint owns the hog's breath or he's a partner. Anyway, 
Deer walks in Clint Eastwood and immediate reptile could do the good, the bad, and the ugly whistle just perfectly. So he lets it rip and Clint just turns 90 degrees and walks right up to the table, looks right at him with that look on his face and says, don't ever do that again. And then turns and (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that made the week right there. That just made the week. Oh, so good. Oh, so good. oh that's awesome. We had Harris Barton out there. Harris Barton, the, the left tackle for the Niners, who had three Super Bowl rings, protecting Joe Montana's blind side. He told some good football stories, which I can't really tell on the show, oh. but they're really good. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, well, I can, well, yeah, it's too long. I, yeah. We'll, we'll have to we'll have to think about that later, but but Harris Barton was cool. <laughs> he was really cool, and uh, just take the yeah, daddy's so word for it. It's a neat place to the the celebrity thing is that was really that was really neat. It's neat to meet those folks you see on the movie screens in real life, see what they're really like. That's pretty. It's pretty cool. And it is the the th- golf is the thread that that connects everybody together in this, which is, uh, again, like I said, it's a celebration of the game. I kind of miss it, but uh, looking forward to a great weekend at Pebble Beach. Caddy, thanks as always. Great to visit with you. We'll chat with you again soon. Thank you, gentlemen. There you go. That's the Caddy joining us right here on Real Golf Radio. Stay tuned. More of the show coming up next. You're listening to Real Golf Radio. Talking golf with Brian Taylor and Bob Casper. One day you'll get it. Here's Brian and Bob. All right, welcome back to the show. It's brought to you in part by Black Desert Resort. Go to blackdesertresort.com and find out about this new world-class resort that's being built in southern Utah, uh, St. George, Utah. It's unbelievable. New Tom Weisskopf championship design, his 73rd and final design, and it is a masterpiece. And it's available to play. You can book your tee time at blackdesertresort.com. Find out about exclusive real estate opportunities still available on its golf course and resort that will host the PGA Tour coming up this October and the LPGA Tour beginning next May. Black Desert Resort. Dot com. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper, back with you. Follow us on Twitter at Real Golf. Join the conversation. Love to hear what you think about this new reimagined uh, event out at AT&T, the Pebble Beach Pro Am. Just 80 players and two courses and no pros only, I should say. No ams, no celebs this weekend. Pros only and playing at Pebble Beach. Hey, I mentioned the LPGA Tour coming to Black Desert. The LPGA Tour put on a heck of a show. They had to contend with the AFC and NFC championship last week yeah but nelly corda and lydia co had it going on uh it it was something else nelly i think had a four-shot lead to start the day over lydia co Mm -hmm. she came roaring back a couple bogeys by by nelly and all of a sudden down the stretch lydia co makes eagle on 17 and ends up and uh, nelly made bogey and all of a sudden she's nelly's trailing by three well, she gets up and then she promptly goes eagle birdie to finish and to get in a playoff to tie uh, Lydia and they go into a two hole playoff as it's getting dark. And on the second playoff hole, uh, a lipped out putt by um, by Lydia and a made putt by Nellie. And she wins in her hometown in Bradenton, picks up her yep. ninth win on the LPGA tour. The win put her just over nine million dollars in career earnings and um 
as she also denied 20-time winner Lydia Ko from getting into the Hall of Fame. She is just a point shy of making it into the Hall of Fame, which, by the way, what are they doing on the LPGA Tour Hall of Fame? Like, the, the woman has 20 wins. Yeah. 20 wins. There's well, nobody the inter- on the PGA Tour that has 20 wins that's not already in the Hall of Fame. Well, the interesting thing was is it, there's not the diversity of players uh, or there weren't the diversity of players when they started this Hall of Fame thing. And there was there was maybe a handful of players that were winning every other week or every week. So, so the points and the amount of wins you had to have to get into the Hall of Fame were quite a bit higher and then they've been scaled down more and you know you've got all these great players that are coming from all over the world to play on the lpga tour and so now it becomes a little bit more difficult because now you've got all this diversity um in the fields and uh and and players need to win more events to make it yeah well, look, this is what I'll say about the LPGA Tour. We got the Pebble Beach Pro-Am going, AT&T going on this week. It's a signature event. It's a $20 million purse. The top 80 players are playing in it. The LPGA Tour, they've had two events this year. Right. None of them were, quote-unquote, signature events, elevated purses, no cuts. They weren't that. Um, actually, the Tournament of Champions, was it? It might not have been. I don't remember. Anyway, they, they've, they've only produced two winners so far, their two events. One, mm-hmm. Lydia Ko, who picked up her 20th win, and one, Nellie Corda, who picked yep. up her ninth win, holding off Lydia Ko. So when you talk about the two biggest names in the game, battling it out and being the first two winners, I mean, advantage LPGA right now, right? And they'd spent a whole lot less money to produce that kind of drama and those big name <laughs> results. So I'm saying yeah. if you're not watching the LPGA tour or you haven't taken a, the time to tune it in, Here's your invitation. Check it out. I mean, these ladies are good. They're fun to watch. They hit the ball unbelievably well. Their putting is uh, is unreal. They're putting some. Yeah. I, I think their putting might be better than the guys. Uh, they're just really unreal to watch. So, um, yeah, here's my plug to, to tune in and watch what's going on on the LPGA Tour. Now, I'll tell you this. You got a few weeks off because they don't come back till yes. like the third week in February or something like that. Yeah. before they February play 22nd, they'll be playing in Thailand at the Honda LPGA event and then the following week the hsbc women's world championship in singapore and that's tough because they're the time difference right yeah so that'll be a little bit of a challenge it'll be all tape delayed it'll be okay yeah you'll be able to tune in and watch though it's pretty cool yep so all right yeah had had to throw that out there and then look let's not forget that uh last week also down at tory pines Uh matthew pavone a 31 year old rookie from france Birdie the 72nd hole to hold off Nikolai Hoygaard by a shot at 13 under. Pavone is the first player representing France to win on the PGA Tour since World War II. What, what, in what sport are you still <laughs> referencing World War II? That's unbelievable. Yeah. Now, there was a Frenchman, who uh, uh, I don't remember his name, that was born in France but had was playing under the American flag when he won a few years ago. So, who has since gone back to his French nationalhood? But anyway, um, because Pavone is representing, that's how the that's how they got that stat to work because right. representing France, right? So, mm-hmm. but still pretty remarkable. Well, and it's a great story of what he had to do. He started playing on the Alps Tour first of all when he was playing junior and amateur golf. He said he wasn't very good, 
he he, uh, he had a lot of um, a, a lot of tough times in growing his game and making his game better. And he was asked the question, you know, um, what you know when you have success like you've had, and and then you have these these problems where where you've had a lot of uh, difficulties in your game and stuff like that. He said, you know, when, when I, I build my game off of the successes, the difficulties, I grew up with that. Mm. So it doesn't make a big difference to me. So it was pretty interesting. So he plays on the Alps tour, which is kind of a, like a really like almost like a mini tour playing in Egypt and all these different places. Then he goes on to the developmental tour, kind of like the corn Ferry tour for the PGA tour. And he plays well enough there, wins some tournaments that he gets in the year end event um, by, by really getting up to, um, the DP World Tour gets in the the year end event and finishes in the top ten. Automatically gets his card come over comes over here to play on the PGA Tour and wins one of the first couple of events he plays. And he said it's like a dream come true. It's and and you know it's it's pretty crazy to see what he's been able to do. And that shot he hit on the final hole out of the rough. Um, hit it right into the middle of the green and used the slope to get the ball close to the hole so he could he could make that eight footer to win the event. It was amazing. Yeah, hats off. Uh, really, really cool stories so far. I mean, this is coming the week after Nick Dunlap, you know, wins yep. as an amateur. And by yep. the way, he's playing this week in his professional debut. We talked a lot about him last week, but uh, absolutely the right decision. How could you have it more teed up uh, on a on a golden platter for you than what what he has for the next three years and all the signature events in the majors this year? So yeah, um, really, really, really cool stuff for the last couple of weeks, and kind of shows that parity, right, that we talk about. Yep. Now, conversely, uh, the Live is kicking off their uh, season this year, season two. Down in Mexico, John Rahm making his live debut. And wouldn't you know it, the rumors around Terrell Hatton came to fruition and he took what amounts to about 60 million US dollars to go join John Rahm's team and um, had to withdraw from Pebble this week and instead is down in Mexico playing in shorts. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing also that he got was this contract that he signed. It was for more than double what he's made on both the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour in his career. So um, when when you've got unlimited funds, you can throw out a bunch of money and entice some guys. And, of course, he was number 16 in the world, and they picked up, what, number four in the world with John Rahm, and those guys are going to be playing. Then they've got um, a kid, uh, last name of, I think it was Sutton, out of Tennessee, yeah, uh, he was the number ten collegiate player in the world, and he decided to turn pro, left uh, college, and uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's moving along, and, and now they've got thirteen teams um, playing on the DP World Tour, and they got a couple of, of stragglers. Not the DP World Tour live the live, yes. yeah, they got a couple of stragglers playing too that aren't yep. part of teams for some reason. So yeah, uh, yeah, I look again. Hatton's a great example of the fact that there is no market basis for what they're doing here on live. It's literally, they're trying to bleed the PGA tour out of stars with money. And it's hard for me to blame a guy like Terrell Hatton. Like you pointed out, it's more than double, almost triple his career earnings, right? It's just guaranteed. Here's a check. Boom, done. I mean, it's, it, it puts these guys in a tough spot, right? 
Yeah. I'm sure he would rather take $60 million and stay on the PGA Tour. I don't know that he had a beef at all with playing on the right. PGA Tour. Here's right. what's interesting, though, when you start breaking it down, and, and we're going to run out of time to really continue this, um, but John Rahm looked to have a great little backdoor deal, like, I'm going to take a bag of money, I'm going to be gone, you know, I'll be back before you miss me kind of thing because this thing's all coming together. Well, with what was just announced, and the fact that it was SSG and not PIF, and they're still working through the PIF side – there's no guarantee that this happens anytime soon. And as Rex Hoggard said, it's probably not even a 25 thing at this stage. It's probably yeah. a 26 thing. Right. And the other thing that is interesting about it is Hatton will be exempt for majors this coming year. But where's he going to be after one year? Dustin Johnson is number 202 in the world right now. Wow. Mm. And these announcements, like I said, I, I don't, I don't see it necessarily getting closer, but uh, I guess maybe the sooner it does or the sooner we just accept this is the way, the direction it's going to go, then we can quit worrying about it. Yeah. I don't think the PGA tour personally is in trouble. I get that. There's a lot of stars playing over there as we know it now, but I think the Nick Dunlaps and everyone else will continue to grow. You know, they'll continue to come up and we'll have the next stars be born. Right. So I, I don't know that it's a full, I don't bet. know if it's a full panic. Thanks again to Dave Glauser, our producer. For Bob Casper, I'm Brian Taylor. Thanks to you for tuning in. That'll do it for us. We'll see you next week right here on Real Golf Radio.